let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times best-selling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Shayna Rattler, just like the snake. Shayna is the ultimate connector for monetizable relationships, which is really cool because relationships are awesome and monetization is awesome. So without further ado, please put your digital hands together for Shayna Rattler. How are you doing, Shayna? I'm awesome, Ben. How are you? I'm fantastic. Just like the snake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Let's I'm happy jump, to be here. Let's jump right in. What is your story? So my story is I was a girl that had a dream like both my, like most entrepreneurs, but I was selling the wrong thing to the right people or the right thing to the wrong people. And so I wasted a lot of time. I wasted a lot of money. I ended up having to file bankruptcy to save my home until I figured it out. Um, and then one day I discovered getting checks from big companies and the rest, as they say, is history. So let's jump back into your childhood. Mm -hmm. What did it smell like? You know, I really wish I had this picture handy because I find that I reference this story quite a bit that I was like five, maybe six years old. And there's this picture of me in front of this little wooden table. And I've taken the box top off of a, of a game, like a board game. And I've written yard sale on it. And the A, I realized was lowercase and all of the rest of the letters were capital. And so I scratched across it and made it a big A. And I've been selling stuff all my life. My dad said that I have always had a knack for remembering everything, which some people love, some people don't love, you can imagine. But he said, I've always been looking for unique ways to make money. And I didn't want to do like chores because I never wanted to work hard for it. So I was willing to work for it, but I wanted to do it in ways that I was like leveraging, um, which is awesome because what I, when you look at what I do now, teaching people how to land corporate sponsors, like it's an awesome form of leverage. So I guess I knew that I was going to be looking at different ways of leveraging my time in exchange for money, even back when I was, you know, not even barely in, in regular, regular school, you know, if you will. Um, but it was interesting. I've, I've always been a talker. I've always gotten in trouble for talking. And now I want to go back to my third grade teacher and say, see, now I get paid to talk. So it smelled like a, butt, a lot of butt whoopings and detentions. <laughs> so why did the, why did that really stick out to you? The, the butt whoopings and detentions, like, 
was it was it something that you feel was like the most important thing to you or the most memorable thing to you? Sheer volume. Sheer volume. My mother said that I would get in trouble for talking too much even when I had strep throat. Like maybe not as much as on a non-strep throat day, but I got in trouble for talking, either talking too much or talking when you weren't supposed to be talking, like all of my life. Um, so it was just, it was just sheer volume. I was always told, be quiet, be still, be quiet, be still. Um, and not because they wanted to like 100% stifle me. It was just, it was incessant. It never stopped. And it was, you know, oftentimes at times that it really should, I should have been being quiet and being still. Why did you, why did you like talking so much? I have no idea. I just, I've always had a lot to say. I've always been extremely opinionated, I guess. I've always felt like, um, I should be heard. Do you feel like you had a role model that kind of showed you the the ropes there that you were emulating or did you literally just have so many things that you, you had to get out that it was like there was no way you couldn't talk a lot? The latter. Like my mind has always gone a mile a minute. Um, I, I literally probably write a novel in my sleep every night because even though I'm sleeping, my brain never stops. And so when my brain is going, I'm usually verbalizing what is on my brain. So I didn't really see anybody who's like, oh, I love how she talks. or I love that she wants to be heard. I don't even know that I thought that deep about it. My mind was just always going and therefore was my mouth. And obviously as a child, you don't necessarily always know how to redirect that energy in the best way or the most positive way. So it was just like constant, constant, constant talking. <laughs> when you're talking about how like a lot of the things that you're thinking, you know, it, it, you verbalize that. So it seems like you're, you're very extroverted. Um, do you find that helpful in your, in your entrepreneurial career or has it, has it also come back to, kind of bite you in the butt too. The only time it's bit me in the butt is when I was younger and dumber and I didn't have as much tact. Um, so I can't really say that, you know, it's been like, obviously it hasn't done, it hasn't done too much to stop me because I'm still talking and I will probably talk until I take my last, my last breath. But obviously, um, you know, I, when I was younger, I was less tactful. And to be honest with you, I was one of those people that I didn't really care what you thought about it. I didn't care about how it made you feel. I was just, if it was on my mind, it was going to come out of my mouth. Now, obviously, I recognized that that was a sign of immaturity. And as I matured and, you know, became a mother, I didn't stop talking. I just became a lot more tactful and intentional about what it is that I was saying and when I was saying it. You know, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's awesome that it almost seems like you had the confidence to always speak what was on your mind because I feel like a lot of people and, and even kids don't feel secure in, in what they're, they're saying yeah. to really speak up. Um, but, but that's really interesting. So when you look back on when you were little until now, what was your relationship like with your parents? Awesome. Um, my parents were, I'm a good blend of my parents. You know, like I get my, my dad is very quiet yet very wise. And I consider myself to be a pretty wise person. So I get, you know, that piece from my dad. 
And then my mom is more, um, you know, kind of go with the wind, think about it, think about it later, you know, ask for forgiveness later instead of permission now. And so I think it's given me a pretty, a pretty good balance and, you know, becomes more and more refined um, the older I get. But my parents pretty much gave me um, the opportunity to do what it is that I wanted to do. And then obviously if, if I needed to be reined in or I needed to be told, no, like this is a better way to do that or don't do this, do that, then obviously they would, they would give me that. Um, but I can remember in high school not having a curfew because my dad knew two things. One, he knew that there were certain things that I just wasn't going to do because I wasn't crazy. And two, he also knew that all of my other friends had a curfew. So he gave me the ability to think that I was doing whatever the heck that it is that I wanted to do. But he also knew that everybody I was with had to be home at a certain time. So that meant I was going to become, be home at a certain time. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't appear as though that he was putting too many limits on me. That is wise. That it's is very wise. <laughs> what were uh, what were some of the other, I guess, telltale signs of of his wisdom? Like, what were some of those real nuggets of of value that you learned from him growing up? Yeah, you know, he always knew the right thing to say. Um, he always knew the right thing to say. Whether I asked, he always knew the right thing to say, even if I didn't ask. But if I'm thinking about a specific time, um, I graduated from high school in May of 1996, and I found out I was pregnant in September of 1996. And so he was very um, good in talking to me about the fact, like, you have options. And, you know, just because you're having a baby doesn't mean the man is going to stay. You know, just because, you, just because you're pregnant doesn't mean that you have to keep it. You know, like, you, ha you have options. And, you know, here's, here are the different options. You know, he didn't tell me what he recommended. He didn't tell me what he didn't recommend. He basically just said, I don't want you to feel like you don't have options. Here are your options. And I trust that you're going to choose the best one for you. And what about your mom? What it, what it, I mean, you mentioned how, you know, she's very, uh, ask for, and I, and I love that. I love that line. Ask for forgiveness later, not permission now. Yeah. What were some of the values that she helped to instill in you? My mom gave me the, have the guts to go after it. Like, don't should yourself to death. Like, like I think we've all been shoulded on way too much. Like, you should do this, you should do that. Um, you know, and she gave me the guts to go, no, go after what it is that you want to go after. And think less about, um, you know, what someone thinks you should do or, you know, doing it to please other people. Um, and and it, she really didn't have to instill that in me, but that's what she would have told me. I kind of had that 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 hair in me, um, you know, innately. But but that was one of the things that I, I really feel like she has she has left me with, and still encourages me with. It doesn't matter what kind of I'm going to say scheme for lack of a better word that I would come up with. She'd be like, go for it. If that's what you want to do. Go for it. You know. Hey, I decided that I'm going to move to Tennessee. Go for it hey, I decided that I'm going to forget that I got a degree in therapy and become an entrepreneur. Go for it. I'm going to move to Texas. Go for it. <laughs> you know, so I, I really, I really liked having the, you know, kind of push, pull, push, pull um, that both of my parents provided together. I think if there was a one line that will be forever quotable thus far in this interview, it's, it's the line of, 
you never want to get shitted to death or, or yeah. you know, stop letting people shit on you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. I could literally see Twitter taking that over and yeah. Um, and it's not mine. I can't take credit for it. I actually read a book about a year ago and she was talking about the fact that we've all been shitted on. And um, it just really, it just really stuck with me. You know, I, I wasn't shitted on very often, but I've been around the block enough times to know that so many people not have only been shitted on, but they followed down the should path instead of the, what they really wanted for themselves path. You know, whether it was, you know, my mom was a lawyer, so I, I decided to be a lawyer or, you know, whatever the case may be, we could probably spend a whole hour, you know, just talking about that and the, and the negative impact, in my opinion, that it, that it can have. Yeah, it could definitely lead down a pretty shitty path. Even just in business, no, you should have an opt-in. You should be on social media. You should go lot, like we've just been shitted on to death, and it's just ridiculous. So besides the fact that that's really, really good advice, it's also, it's also pretty hilarious. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about um, your, your high school experience. What were some of the activities that you like to uh, partake in? Like, what were the things that you did with your time that you valued? Um, grades always came easy to me, so I didn't have to spend any time on that. I didn't have to study. I didn't have to. I, I could not listen, review my notes the night before the test or an hour before the test and get straight A's. So I never had to spend a lot of time on the academics because it just came really easily to me. But extracurricular wise, I did it all. I ran track, I was a cheerleader, I played softball. I, I, I mean, I, I did everything except play basketball and cheer at the same time, just because it's kind of hard to be on the sidelines and on the court at the exact same time. Um, but I spent a, a, a lot of time in extracurricular activities. Usually most of my sports overlapped. Um, you know, as soon as one season was not even over, there was the next one that was starting. And I'm trying to figure out how do I clone myself and be at this practice and that practice at the exact same time, because it's like a three week, you know, you know, overage. But um, I, I, I did it all. And I spent, a, I spent a lot of time having a lot of fun. What were some of the most defining moments of your high school career? <laughs> they're going to be like, where'd you find this hellion by the time this interview is over? So we get to um, three weeks left in my senior year. And I have decided that I am going to organize the largest food fight that my high school has ever seen. Hands down, it's going to be the biggest, baddest. And I, and I want everybody to know, including the principal, that I was the mastermind behind it. So I get this brilliant idea, right? Forgiveness later. Um, I get this brilliant idea to pull this off. We start planning it about three weeks before school is out. And so um, we decide that on the last full day, like not, not during finals when nobody's there, like you've got to do it when everybody is there, that we're going to have this food fight. And we did. And um, they actually, now if this makes any sense at all, they were actually going to expel me from high school. And my dad being the, being the dad he is, he was like, no, she's done four years at this school. There's two and a half weeks left and she's gonna graduate from Jacksonville High School. She's not going to some alternative school for the last two and a half weeks of her four year you know, high school career. So that's what we're not gonna do. <laughs> and needless to say, because my dad, um, you know, he was a prison guard at the time and he's very stoic. 
So needless to say, they were like, yes, Mr. Yes, Mr. Rattler. <laughs> yes, Mr. Rattler. But that was a that was one of those defining moments that I realized like you can't just do whatever the hell you want to do. Like you can, but you shouldn't. Like you can do whatever the hell you want to do, but you shouldn't. You know, because there was there was a lot on the line that that could have gotten very ugly. Like if they wanted to, and I live in a very small podunk non-diverse town in central Illinois like they could have they could have had me arrested which could have you know messed up my college future like there's a whole lot of things that could have gone wrong thankfully they didn't but I think that was the wake up aha moment for me of you know yeah have the guts to go after you want but recognize that you you, you kind of need to think once or twice before you you know before you act about what the consequences might be as you were growing up, what was your view of self? Like, who did you see yourself, your, your self-identity? I saw myself as amazing. I saw myself um, at a very young age of being whatever it is that I wanted to be, and I knew it was going to be something big. I knew that whatever I did, it wasn't going to be mediocre, and it wasn't going to be what everybody else was doing. Um, you know, I, I think when I was young, you know, I wanted to be a model, you know, I was tall, I had long legs, I had long hair, I thought I was attractive, I was always told that I was pretty, I, um, you know, I went on to, you know, participate in pageants, become Miss Teen Illinois, um, and, and I just, I just always knew that I don't know exactly what it is that I'm going to do, but I know it's going to be big, and I know it's not going to be what everybody else is doing. Once you moved into college... Or let me ask, what did you do after high school? I actually, I, my degree is actually in physical therapy. Um, it took me a lot longer than the average person to get a physical therapy degree because remember, I graduated high school in May and found out I was pregnant by Labor Day. Um, so it took me a lot longer um, to get my physical therapy degree than it would the person that didn't have to do all their prerequisites at night while they worked during the daytime. Um, but that's what my degree is in, is in physical therapy. And how did your life change once you figured out you were pregnant and, and how did you deal with those changes? Um, I'm a person that I get information, I make a decision, I take action. So once I decided that I was going to keep him, um, I was like, I, this ain't going to stop me. You know, it might slow me down, down a little bit, but it's, it, it's not even in my DNA that I'm not going to do what it is that I always wanted to do. So a lot didn't change. I've always been driven. I've always been goal oriented. I've always gotten it done, you know, against the odds. I've always gotten it done even when I didn't feel like it. So I just saw this as just an, another opportunity to just wake up every day and do what you do. And why did you decide physical therapy? Um, because when I was in all of those different sports, I saw so many of my teammates that were injured all the time and they would all go to physical therapy and then come back and live their life just as close to normal, if not normal as they did when they left. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Like you can just go off and fix people and then they come back normal. <laughs> you know, they might have a brace on, but you know, but they're still jumping hurdles. They're still, you know, doing herkies. They're still doing all the things that, that they do is as athletes. And so I was like, hmm, that's pretty cool. Once you graduated and you had your degree and you've been, you know, it seems like you were working during the day and you're going to school at night. 
until PT school started, and then that, that's not allowable. But yeah. Okay, so you then went to PT school after that. Can you talk? Can you just give us the chronology of how you got to what you're doing now? Sure. So um, you can imagine that there are a lot of prerequisites and, you know, bachelor's degrees and all that stuff that you have to have before you can matriculate into a professional program. So I worked during the day and went to school at night, never missed a semester the entire time I was pregnant. Luckily, I had my son right between like the spring semester and the fall semester because he was born in May. So it was like the spring semester ended. I had him by the time the next semester came in, I was right back in there, never missed a day. Um, so I worked during the day, went to school at night until I was able to matriculate into the physical therapy program. At that point, there is no working. I mean, they, they tell you on the front end, like, there's no way that you're going to survive physical therapy school, especially gross anatomy, and work at the same time. So figure it out. Um, and so I went to PT school for God knows how, how long that took. And um, within probably, let's see, I'm going to say within... Six to nine months after graduating from physical therapy school, people were like, can you help us over here? Can you help us over there? And I was like, look, there's only one of me. And they were like, well, just get the contracts and get people to work under you. And I've been an entrepreneur running a staffing agency um, and then going on to be a coach since about nine months after PT school, which is not the path. Most people get out, work a while, you know, maybe do some different things. But I hit the ground running and they were like, get these contracts, get all these therapists to work under you. Within nine months, we had 23 therapists. No, within 90 days, we had 23 therapists that were working under me. I had my mom quit her job, come run our staffing agency. And then people were like, well, how do you start a business? How do you grow a business? And then I was business coaching. So what is your biggest focus right now? My biggest focus right now is getting entrepreneurs to see that there is an easier path. The statistics say that over 50% of entrepreneurs are making less than $25,000 a year. The good side is, is that they say 2% two, 2 of us make a million dollars, but of those that do, 56% of their revenue come from corporations. So my biggest goal right now is to show entrepreneurs that there is a much easier way to have more income, more impact, and more influence which is why I do what I now what I do now by teaching people how to land corporate sponsors. So that begs the question, how do we land corporate sponsors? Well, I think we first have to talk about what is a corporate sponsor because everywhere I go, people, there's a lot of myths around that. So a corporate sponsor is a check for what you've already created. And here's what I mean by that. Corporations recognize that we live in an attention economy. So unless it's the Super Bowl, most of us are not watching commercials. So if you're Dell and you're trying to figure out how to sell more of your products and services, most of the things that you've done in the past are just not as effective. So, you know, introduce the entrepreneur, the influencer, the infopreneur, any level of entrepreneur. Most of us have an audience that is not only paying attention to us, but is taking action with us. So if your audience is business owners and Dell is looking to sell more of their products and services to business owners, they can do one of two things. They, continue, they can continue to throw millions and billions of dollars a year at traditional advertising that doesn't work, or they can partner with you as the business owner that has an audience of entrepreneurs and you can give them visibility and access to what it is that you've already created. 
So are you doing social media? Do you have a website? Do you have a blog or a podcast that has traffic coming to it? Do you have products and services, you know, that you're selling to people? And if the answer is yes, which if the answer is not yes, then you're not in business. Like if you, you don't have an audience that, pe that people are listening to what you have to say or buying what you have to say, you're not in business. So the great thing is, is that you can say to Adele, hey, look, I can give you visibility and exposure in some of these things that I'm doing throughout the year. And you're going to be in front of a baked in audience to sell more of your products and services. And they go, great, sign me up. Here's a check. So the good news is, is that you now can make more money. And two, you can stop self-funding everything that you're doing in your business. And then three, you can stop creating new stuff every single year because you can leverage what you've already created and get a corporation to cut you a check for it. Like, and if that doesn't give you goosebumps, like I just need to like poke you and see, see if you're awake or like I'm a rattlesnake. So like hit you with my rattle or something. <laughs> That's what I need. I need a rattle. So I can go <laughs> during interviews. That would be awesome. Yeah. And everybody would remember the rattle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they would. So two things come to mind and I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because, you know, I kind of want to put you on the spot with two two little like mini case studies. Okay. Um, I have this crazy idea and I feel like your expertise, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to ask somebody like you if this is possible okay. or how it's possible. I should say okay. I shouldn't limit myself. I, I have an idea where I want to travel around the world, live streaming the whole journey and inviting people who are seeing the live stream to join me and we can all live stream together, right? That's the basic premise. And then show them you can be an entrepreneur and travel. You can build your business on the go, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. How do I get a corporation like GoPro or whoever to pay for that before it even happens? They're not going to pay for it before it happens because there's no track record. So the reason why a corporation would partner with you is because they want a return on their investment. So if you haven't done anything, it's just like a live event, right? So most people think you have to have a live event to get a corporate sponsor. That's not the case, but the, but the analogy will make sense to you and the audience. If you were to say, hey, I'm gonna put on this conference, I've never done it before, but I'm gonna have 350 people in the room and they're all, they all make this amount of money and I, I, I'm gonna convert 65% of the room. Well, how do you know? You don't. So I'm not gonna cut, if, if I were to cut you a check before you do something, that's funding. You need to go to a bank or an investment, you know, investment capitalist, a, a venture capitalist, a capitalist, a, you know, an angel investor, if you want funding for a future project. Because a, a return on investment has to be able to say, look, this is what I've done in the past. And based on what I have done in the past and how well that performed is why I can pretty much guarantee you that if you partner with me, that you're going to get a return on investment. Because again, if I'm Dell, I want to sell some of my products and services. And if you can't prove that what you have done, that people have actually taken action with you, then why would I cut you a check? 
So you have to be able to look at what can you track. Now, not down to the letter where you can say like, you know, hey, every time I do a webinar, I have 3.76% open rates and 94, like you don't have to get that technical. No one's ever going to ask you for that. But you do want to be able to say like, hey, you know, here's, here's the engagement on my social media. If I have a workshop, you know, here's the number of people that show up and the number of people that, that buy you want to be able to show the impact and influence that you've already had so they can go, oh yeah, pick me. I, I want to stroke you a check today so that people will know more about the products and services that we're looking to sell. So it's totally sponsorable, but it's less likely unless you already have a relationship with someone for them to fund it on the front end. The only time they will do that is if you can show them a positive track record that you already have with the same target market that you would be targeting for what it is that you're going to do in the future. Then they might be a little bit more likely to take a chance on you. But if you're just out of the gate, like, Hey, I've got this awesome idea. They're going to consider that too risky and not as likely to partner with you. That makes a lot of sense. And this is why you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I had no idea. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, a, and that was a great analysis too. Thank you for, uh, you know, humoring me and, and, uh, being put on the spot. No worries. Uh, the second case study thingy is how would you, let's say I came to you with project egg and I'm like, all right, Shana, let's make some magic happen. You know, we have some traffic, we have some viewers slash listeners, Let's do it. Let's go yeah. hard. What, what's that process look like? So there's a, I have a three-part framework of how you land a corporate sponsor. It's position, package, and pitch. So the very first thing that we would do is we would figure out how do we want to position Project Egg. And what I mean by that is two different things. One, how do we demonstrate the impact and influence that Project Egg has in the marketplace? And a lot of that is you know, what have you done? Like, 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 you know, how many, how many people have viewed and listened and bought and, you know, all those things that we measure as an entrepreneur. And then we would say, well, what are we positioning this as? Are we positioning this as a great advertising and marketing opportunity because your audience is the same audience that this type of sponsor would be looking to sell to? Or do we position this as like a, um, social cause type of thing, because that's going to make a difference. Because the very first thing that you have to do is you have to ask yourself, well, what types of companies are we going to go after to try to secure these sponsors? And so you want to make sure that you're preaching to the converted. So you position yourself for the type of people that you want to bring in. That's number one. P number two is package. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is going to be the activation? Like, so what is this sponsorship apart with, with a project A going to consist of, you know, where are they going to get visibility and um, attention exposure to the audience of project A and any, anything else that you would be visible to. Right. And so that we can learn like, how do we price it? And then the third thing is, is that how do we pitch it? And what pitch means first is how do you get the foot, your foot in the door? Not how do you have the sales conversation? Because guess what? Nobody cares how great your proposal is, which is what most people want to know what goes in the proposal. I don't really care about the proposal. 
we've got to figure out how do you get your foot in the door to even be able to have the conversation? Because once you get your foot in the door to have the conversation and you paint the vision about what you're doing and you can demonstrate the business case of why they should partner with you, they really don't care what's in your proposal. So that's what that, that's what that process would look like. How do we position you? How do we package what you have to offer so it's a win-win for you, the audience, and, the, and the, the sponsor? And then how do we pitch you to get your foot in the door to have the conversation about how great of a partnership this is going to be? That's awesome. And that, work, that, that framework that I just described is the exact same framework that I've used for people like Steve Harvey. And it's the exact same framework that I've used for influencers like you and I that may only be used in our niche. So it doesn't really matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how well known you are, how long you've been around. If you can show that you have an audience that is paying attention to you and taking action with you, those three P's will work for you. So Shane, I want to thank you for, uh, for, you know, going in into depth with that. And, and uh, again, for, you know, being a good sport about being put on the spot. So, you know, thank, thank you for that. Um, we talked a lot about where you've come from and what you're doing now, but what do you see as the future five, 10, 20 years down the road? Like, what are you really trying to create? I want to put an end to the dismal statistics, right? Like the, the statistics that I quote, I quoted about more than 50% of us making less than 25%, you know, $25,000 a year that only 2% of entrepreneurs are breaking the million dollar mark. I would like to say that those are new statistics, but they haven't changed in decades. And I want, to, I want to play a role in putting an end to that because what I know is that the entrepreneurs that are in business now, the ones that are coming on the scene, the ones that are gonna to continue to be birthed are gonna be the ones that wanna have more impact, more, more so than the income. Like, yeah, we can't impact anybody if we're broke, but when you look at the state of our union, and I don't just mean the United States, I'm just talking about how jacked up our freaking world is, it's gonna take people like you and I that are willing to break the cycle and do something different that's going to make a change. And we're not gonna make a change if only 2% of us are making a million dollars. We're not gonna make a change if more than 50% of us are making $25,000 a year or less. Like I, I'm a science, I'm a science major, not a math major, but I've done the math on that and it's $12 and two cents an hour roughly. And most of us don't do what we do, the blood, sweat and tears that it takes to build a business and actually have impact for that amount of money. Like I live in Dallas, Texas and you know, you can go to Target and make $13 an hour, you know, stocking shelves. So, you know, I just wanna, I wanna look back and say that I played a major role in ending those statistics so that we can actually start to see some change in this crazy world that we live in. Like, God forbid, by the time my grandkids have grandkids, if Jesus hadn't come back and taken us all, like, I, I'm scared to death to think, you know, if you look at what we're experiencing now, what are we gonna be experiencing 40 years from now? It's, it's ridiculous. And so that's, that's where I'm going, is how can I do more so that we can do more? When you're representing clients, helping them to get checks from corporate sponsors, it seems like you're going to be interfacing a lot with the corporate sponsors. How do you get your foot in the door and how do you build relationships with decision makers who can actually write those checks? 
Actually, we don't even do that anymore, and here's why. Because this is a business development muscle that you need to be building inside of your organization anyway. And it sounds sexy to outsource something, but the reality is, is that this is a strategy that has to snap into the other strategies that you're already doing in your business. And that's very difficult to outsource to someone. And so for people that are out there like, yeah, you can just pay me some money and I'll go get you some checks, it's likely gonna take a lot longer. It's likely gonna be very ineffective. You actually can find very few people nowadays that will do that unless you are a you know, major league sports team, a if you're the American cross, but for people like you and I, there are very few people of integrity that are getting results that still do that done for you thing. But we will teach you how to get your foot in the door and how to build the relationships. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to put on pants and get outside from your outside of your house from behind your computer. Because all the stuff that we're we're told that we should be doing in business requires to do exactly what you and I are doing. Like if I stood up right now, I've got on a cute top, but I've got on stretch pants underneath here that I wore when I was pregnant with my son and he'll be 22 next month. So it ain't cute. But I say all that to say that we can get away with doing that. You know, so if you're going to build relationships with people outside of corporations, you have to figure out where are they? You know, where do people who work inside of larger companies, where are they before, during, and after work? And unfortunately, other than being able to possibly connect with someone on LinkedIn, business to business sales happens face to face. 85% of sales inside of a corporation happens because a face to face conversation or relationship has taken place. So, you know, where, where are those corporate events? Like is your chamber or the business journal putting on events? Are there industry and association events that even if you can't go as an attendee, you can conference stop? Like, yeah, I'm a good conference stop. I told y'all I was happy. Um, you know, like if there's a, a uh, you know, international advertising and marketing association that you have to be a CMO, a chief marketing officer to go. Well, I'm not a chief marketing officer, so I can't buy a ticket. But what stops me from hanging out in the restaurant in the hallways at the venue? Like nothing. That's good conference stop. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to be able to speak intelligently about what it is that you do in a, in a very succinct way that's not salesy. So here's a great one-liner. So say, Ben, that you are the chief marketing officer of Dell, and I'm a business coach, and all of my clients and my audience are business owners, right? And more than likely, Dell is always going to be looking to sell products and services that are going to be for business leaders or entrepreneurs. You pretty much, that's a safe bet that it's probably not going to shift too much. And so if I was to come up to you and be like, hey, Ben, you know, how are you doing? How are you enjoying the event? You know, whatever it is that you say to people. And then you say, hey, look, I know that at Dell, you guys are always looking to get in front of more business owners. And I serve business owners in some pretty unique ways, both online and offline. So it might make sense for us to talk about how we can help each other. What did I not say? I didn't say I've got Project Egg that you might want to sponsor. I didn't say I've got this awesome event that I've been doing for 15 years and maybe we can talk about you partnering with me and sponsoring. No, that's not how you build a relationship. And hopefully you're not doing that in business anyway. Hopefully you're looking to connect with people. But what I did say is I said something that made you feel like we're peers. I'm not coming to you because I'm the little entrepreneur and you're the big corporate person and I know you've got something to give to me, but I have nothing to give to you. What I said was, 
is this is the audience that I know you're looking to get in front of. And I serve that audience in some pretty unique ways, both online and offline. So it might make sense for us to talk about how we can help one another. I can almost guarantee you that you're going to give me a meeting. Almost guarantee you that you're going to give me a meeting. Now, we can't go into what you say at that meeting in the context of this conversation, but that's how you build relationships. You figure out where the traffic is and you get hit by the traffic and you say what I just said you said and you get a, a meeting and then you talk about what you need to talk about and you get a check. Like it really is that simple. That's powerful. And it seems like the key there is to value the relationship, not the pitch. Like, relationship currency is always going to be the most effective currency that you ever have in, as an entrepreneur. And you can't overlook that, which is again, why you don't want somebody, some sleazeball salesperson, not like, I, not that I was that, but you don't want some salesperson that doesn't understand that out, you know, hawking for you. Like it just, it doesn't work that way. The other thing is, is that when you're, you want to look for lifetime clients and lifetime sponsors. So you actually want to have that relationship yourself. You don't want to have to come back to me and give me 20% every time, every time you need a partner. Like just learn how, just learn how to build that business development muscle and you're going to be very successful in business. And my goal is for you not to want me or not to need me. I want to teach you how to fish. I don't want to go fish for you. That doesn't empower you to do anything except keep asking somebody to fish for you. So you mentioned the word uh, connection or, or you mentioned, the, I think you used the word connect. Um, and so I'm interested in understanding your philosophy on building deep, meaningful, and genuine connection with another person. My philosophy is um, be a taker and not a giver. Here's what I mean by that. Look at what you can take off of somebody's plate. You know, look at what you can help someone else do before you want them to do something for you. So like, I, I don't usually ask for anything until I've done at least two to three things. Um, and I'm always looking for how can I take things off your plate, especially when you're talking about business to business stuff and I'm looking to build a deeper connection with corporate people. I know that they are insanely busy. So, you know, I might say, you know, what vendors are you looking to hire? You know, I have a pretty good network that I might be able to refer somebody to you. So that's taking something off their plate because now rather than for them to have to go out and try to figure out where they're going to find this next vendor or supplier, they can just tell me and I can go into my network and, and say, Hey Ben, I just wanted to introduce you to Steve. I just met him at this event and he's looking for someone that does what you do. Can't wait to see what you guys have created. Like I'm not going to ask for anything until I've found a way to take something off of your plate and give you something first. And I can tell you that um, there is a company called DiversityCom and they publish anywhere from 10 to 12 diversity magazines in multiple different ways. Some of them are disability magazines, some are, some are for blacks, some are for you know, Hispanics or you know, all these different diversity categories that I can't even keep up with anymore. Um, and I have been fortunate enough to write for all of those magazines at least once a quarter for multiple years. And you know why I have had the opportunity to do that? She said I was the only person in the history of her career that the very first thing that I said to her was, how can I help you? 
because most people are coming to her because she's got 12 magazines that they want to get in and they want to write for. And, you know, so she's used to that, but she was wowed by the fact that I was like, you know, what, you know, how can, how can I help you? What do you, what do you have coming up that I might be able to support you with? And, and that's astonishing. And she's older than I am. So you need to tell me in your entire career, and as long as these magazines have been around, it took that long for little old me to come around and ask you what I can do for you. Like, good God, people, where's my rattle? <laughs> What's your greatest theory? My greatest theory? Hmm. My greatest theory is with God, you can truly do anything, but you've got to want it and you've got to believe you can have it. That's my, that's my greatest theory. So Shana, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today and sharing this time with me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative and very grateful for that. So thank you. You're very welcome. I'm honored. So I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, I'm 24, have a couple different businesses, Project Dig and, and a few other things. Um, what question should I be asking you and specifically me, you know, in my situation, asking specifically you with your knowledge and your experience and, and you know, the, the things that you're the best at Yeah. that I just wouldn't think to ask. That you wouldn't, what you wouldn't think to ask. Um, maybe how soon can I get started? And here's why I say that. Because most people, when they think about going after a bigger company, and I've got to find a better way to say than going after, because that just sounds so uh, manipulative. But when you're looking to secure business with a larger company, most people think that that's going to be a three to five year down the line thing that they're going to be able to do in their business. And I hope what I've shown you is that since it's for what you've already created, the answer is you can get started tomorrow, right? As long as you have the right tools, relationship, and knowledge, which we're going to talk in a minute, you know, about where you can find all that information. You know, this, it's February, it's February, Jesus. It's April the 15th, 2019, when we're recording this. So, you know, for those of you, even for yourself, if you thought like, hey, this is going to be a, a 2022 something that I might look at getting partners and sponsors for Project A. Like, I, I hope that that's the question you would ask is, how soon could I get started so that I can tell you tomorrow? Because if you do a few things right, um, and a lot of the knowledge that you'll learn about how to land a corporate sponsor is probably things that you have heard or learned in other, in other forms of, of business development and, um, you know, marketing and, and, and sales strategies. Most of that is transferable. But the, the, the answer is that you can, get, you can get started as soon as tomorrow. If you, if you do a few things right. And I think most people think of corporate sponsorship being a future strategy, but the good news is it's for what you've created in the past. So that, that's what I think that most people don't think to ask because they think that it's some futuristic, I should do this first. I got to do this. I got to, I got to have this. They're going to expect that. I've got to learn the lingo, like all this crap that is not, that is not really true. There's a lot of, inaccurate and outdated information out there when it comes to when it comes to this topic so Shana, again i want to thank you very much for uh for coming on the show and for everybody who's listening watching i want to thank you all very very much 
Uh, thanks for sticking with us till the end. Thanks for supporting the show. I love you guys very much. Y'all are the reason that I do this. So thank you. Let's change the world.